Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. In this episode, we're coming to you with uh, an episode that'll be uploaded right here around the new year. And uh, with the new year coming and the holidays put behind us, it means it's time to move into that new wintry season without anything to do other than hobby. And... Uh, with nothing else to do, we thought it'd be a time to sort of reflect on uh, kind of what we got this year, and then for John and I to put together what we're looking forward to next year. Because uh, with a new year comes a new opportunity for all sorts of hobby changes. Um, especially 2022, when we're kind of coming out of the panorama, hopefully. I say <laughs> very carefully. <laughs> Listen, a new Nurgle book just dropped. You can't. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I cannot say that with any level of specificity. This is just me hoping. <laughs> new variant. Who dis? New variant. Who dis? Please stop. Uh, oh, God. I still have my Delta decorations up. Um, but yeah. Megatron. <laughs> With us moving into 2022, uh, there's bound to be some changes coming. There's changes every year. We get new stuff. We see new trends. We, we hell, we see new games pop up all over the place. Sometimes There's new salt in the salt mine of oh, Reddit and Twitter. God, it never ends. They just keep digging to new levels. It's impressive if it wasn't so frustrating. Well, sometimes there's even like a new level. Sometimes it's a lateral level. Like they just go to the right <laughs> or i feel like sometimes we just like we hop back to old levels like we don't mind this how are we here again yeah yeah how are we still bitching about space breeds what is happening are we not beyond this <laughs> what is this 2018 <laughs> good god like it's over it's okay but i think next year uh there are some particular things that we would like to see and that we think might happen uh so we thought we'd take a little bit of time and chat about them a bit maybe we'll make a follow-up episode at the end of 2022 to see if we got what we wanted or what we were estimating uh because baseless speculation is just what we like to do here from time to time but and by time to time we mean every other day constantly but first hobby time and games played all right man it is the bit where you get to tell me how much you've painted. So, John, what you been working on? I've been pondering that orb. Been <sighs> making some baseless speculations through my orb. What orb? My orb. <laughs> you know, that orb I keep hidden in my hobby room. Ah, yes. Very good. Uh, yeah. yeah what have you hidden, been pondering in it? Well, mostly Beasts of Chaos. We'll see. And also uh, FedEx shipping reports for my 3D printer so I can start working on my Beasts of Chaos more. Um, <laughs> or lack of updates. <laughs> well, yeah, lack of updates. But while I've been doing that, I've been painting up gores, uh, working on like everything I can do. I need to buy a different color of streaking grime because I've decided I want to do with like a dark forest. I actually am doing my Beasts of Chaos heavily inspired off of the environments and forests of kentucky mm -hmm. and so i am wanting to try to emulate some of that and i need different 
colored paints and stuff that I don't currently have. But the airbrush is helping a significant amount. I, there's a lot I can just skip by using the airbrush mm-hmm. in these gores. Especially because I can do a brown. With it being a Kentucky flavored beast dudes. Kentucky Kentucky fried beast dudes. Yeah, hey, there we go. There you go. We found the branding. We got there. Yeah, woo. But yeah, I've been paid to those. I played two games last night, though. I played two games of the Warhams last night. Mm-hmm. Both of them was Guard versus uh, Necrons for one and Eldar with the other. Uh, I spanked the elves, slaughtered those Eldar, one hand over fist. It was great. And then in due course, the Necrons turned, looked at me, and much like in the book Dead Men Walking, destroyed me seven times to Sunday. Ooh. It was unfortunate. <laughs> that sounds bad. That sounds real bad. Uh, it was great. I loved it. Like, I'm a huge fan. I love, like, I, I'm playing guard more often and realizing that this is kind of like a good primary faction for me so far. Mm-hmm. Like, I do a lot of thinking, I do a lot of playing. Even when I lose, I have a great time. When I win, I don't feel like I cheated. I feel like I worked hard for it. It's very good. I'm enjoying it. I'm actually desperately waiting for the rest of my 3D printer stuff to get here so I can print more guard. Uh, I've been watching a lot of World War One and World War II documentaries in preparation to paint more guard. So, I'll count that as hobby. I'll count I'm it. I'm starting to... Yeah, I'm getting closer to 30, so like, uh, my thing is paint creatures that make me want to go feral and uh, disappear into the woods, or uh, War History Nerd comes back out. Uh, those are the two brands of 30? Well, it's, it's either that or you get into like smoking meat, and uh, I don't, it's not, it's too cold out to smoke meat. That That comes in the summertime. I mean, there it is sort of a barbecue-y sort of activity, but you can have a winter barbecue if you're more dedicated. Listen, I had a tree fall in my yard. I, I ain't dedicated by anything out there. I get depressed looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> Remove it. It's a big tree. <laughs> like, cut it into buy, pieces. Go, I'm not saying I, you can go, go buy a new chainsaw. <laughs> I listed here, Sylvaneth. I can't just sing at the tree and make it go away. Like, what are you talking about? Just make it walk out. Come on. Jesus. Just talk to it. It's a tree. <laughs> Ask Joseph. it nicely. Maybe give it Ask some... Joseph serenades 30 birds to lift a tree for him. Yes. John. Like Disney princess. That's my 30 goal. Uh, Disney princess. That's what I'm looking for. You can I mean, enjoy... You're already there. You're already there. Oh, God. We can't sing on this podcast. I'm making this rule. I just made it. It's permanent. <laughs> Much like we must obey the music, we cannot sing. Okay. <laughs> Our viewership well, just got cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been painting, Joseph? Because I've done... I've, I've spent two weeks painting two units and a character. <laughs> <laughs> played a couple of games of Warhammer and watched a bunch of stuff about Stalingrad. Tell me what you've done. Uh, I have been working on orcs. Um, finally, after two and a half, almost three months of waiting uh, for my orc crusade force to get shipped in, it finally got here. So now that it's in uh, sort of in stock again, it finally got to my game store. And I've been working on that furiously to try to get ready for an early January start to the crusade. So 
I have been, I built the war boss on, uh, what is it, Squigasaur? Yeah, Squigasaur. I built him and got him all glued together. Uh, and I've also been painting up the six Squighog riders that I'll need to finish out my first step of Crusade. So I have been painting both the Squighogs themselves, the six orcs that ride them, and uh, the goblin that's on each of them. And uh, I have spent the week building, and then I moved into priming and base coating, and uh, now I'm almost finished with the base coat stage, and then I'm going to have to wash them all and uh, kind of put it all together. And uh, hopefully next week, I'll get to start on the hero, assuming I could get the squigs done in time. But with Christmas coming up, ah, that deadline's looking a little more looming than I would maybe like. <laughs> We'll just avoid all uh, family commitments for Christmas by saying, sorry, I need to go work on a project. Yes. I'm behind on project and cannot leave my house. Uh, they would probably presume project. it was a work project. Um, it is. It is a work project. You're working real hard on those orc boys. But it's not a work project. It's just a project I'm working on. Nah, what do they know? Uh, nothing. That's why it's deceptive. Um, buy a graphing light and then it is. I do need to get a new light. Uh, I need to upgrade my light situation badly. I'm still using like a little desk lamp, like the one out of the beginning of Pixar movies. Uh, that's what I've been working with for years and, uh, it's time to step up my game. But yeah, I've been, you know, working on orcs. It sounds like a lot less than what it has been. Uh, this has been many nights of painting and building orcs. And it, I don't have a whole lot finished to show for it, other than a shit ton of base coats. But I think that's kind of the curse of painting orcs. That you hobby a whole lot for very little unit completion. That's okay. That's why I'm doing it in a slow grow, to kind of cheat how slow it's going to be uh, to paint up a full orc army for 40k. Because good god, do you need a lot of models. It's going to be an entire time. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you'll you learn you'll learn to love Horde armies as you play them more, Joe. Or what you think are Horde armies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, like, I know you're used to Custodians and Space Reads, but Joe, something because something has a 10-man unit doesn't make it a Horde army. <laughs> you listen here, John. Sometimes there's a 30-man unit. 30? That's a lot of dudes. We've said the word 30 a lot in this episode. Yeah, there's a theme. Uh, <laughs> I also did play a game. Uh, oh, look at you, playing I, a game. I played a game. I taught uh, Lucas, one of our listeners. He was at uh, Joe HammerCon 2021. Uh, I taught him AOS. He's been sort of playing 40K for a little while, and he feels comfortable there, but now he wants to learn fantasy. So uh, he came over and he put down a thousand points of Night Haunt against a thousand points of my Sylvaneth. And we had a blast. Um, it's always fun to teach a new player because they're just so excited. Um, and he did almost make a couple of mistakes that like cost him the game outright. But I managed to give him warning about what was about to happen. And he reacted really, really well. Uh but in the end, he just had one sort of combat that went poorly for him. And then I had the initiative and was kind of in the driver's seat. And uh, he couldn't 
keep up on objectives, which was sort of the real problem. And eventually he just kind of got outpointed. But he definitely put up a heck of a fight. He almost wiped my Tree Lord Ancient with uh, Lady Ooh. Oleander. She can really throw out some mortal wounds. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, Lucas play the Ghosties more. Yeah. I think that I think that he'll really enjoy OS. And I think that he'll have a lot of fun playing the game. And I also would just love to play him in the game. And just seeing all of his night haunt models that he was showing off made me go, man, I should start a soul like Gravelord's army. Uh, I have a 3D printer. I could do this. Those and, night uh, haunts are pretty. Real pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm over here like, I've got one of every Grand Alliance army. What if I got all of them, like the Infinity Stones? <laughs> There's only four Grand Alliances. I know. I've got like two Chaos, one Order, and one Destruction. But I don't have a death. Oh. Yeah. There's an opportunity there. I think yeah, that would be cool. don't even get me started talking about the Thousand Suns. I might start here in like uh, two weeks. John, what are you doing? If they exist. The model's already there. I just don't have the book. Like, What are you doing? Uh, my life is spiraling out of control. I have more plastic than I do anything else. Uh, I, I have a, that similar feeling. Uh, we were talking in the chat this weekend about Joe Hammercon 2022. Uh, with the people who are coming, we're like, hey, what kind of point level is everybody feeling? Uh, you know, are we thinking like 1K? Are we wanting to paint 1.5K? We want to paint 2K? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I kind of want 2K. Like the game is balanced at 2K, so I think we should do 2K. So that it means is. <laughs> I have to paint 2,000 points of that while also painting up the crusade. Uh it's going to be a busy time period <laughs> at my hobby desk. And also yeah. painting Tau for a crusade game with Lucas for 40k. Holy bejeebus. Yeah, man, it's great. Just uh just play ogres for AOS. I'm going to have to start I'm going to have to start painting every day like Vince Ventrilla. Good god. Just paint nonstop. I still don't know if I could match his godly speed, but I'll try. Well, I mean, it looks like your Tau scheme is very quick, and your Orc scheme is not, but that's fine, because those are a passion. Uh, the Tau are just very quick and clean and good-looking, and Ogres, if you do those, are just lots of big models, which are a joy for you to paint anyways. Like They are fun, but the thing I'm finding with Ogres is, as it stands right now, you... The only thing that you're really bringing is like, hey, here are my six stone horns. <laughs> uh, it, they are all the exact same model of the exact same pose with no variation anywhere. And that feels weird to me. And I know it shouldn't, but it just does. Uh, what about if you brought some of the, the fat lads, the chonky boys, the nugget hunters? Uh, well, you see, unfortunately, they wrote some lore making them separate factions. Like, it, it's weird. I mean, I don't want it to go on too long, but essentially in the book, they talked about how there are two factions of ogres. There are the Beastclaw Raiders, and there are the, uh, like, blood gullets, or the, essentially the guys on foot and the guys on the big monsters, and how they hate each other with a fervent, fiery passion, and went to this incredible civil war about it, and almost destroyed each other, 
and their race and this sort of hatred for one another and how after the war ended, they still have this lingering, absolutely burning hatred and disgust of the other group. And then after like 18 pages describing that, they then quickly go, oh yeah, but you could bring them together. It's totally fine. Like, what? No, you, no, no, no. I mean, you could write something to make it make sense. Like, I'd believe, like, like, listen, listen, Joe, I almost guarantee you that you and I could find something to be real mad at each other about, to feud about and like punch each other in like a ring for like an hour. And then afterwards, someone could go, Hey, we're going to like Raising Canes. Does anyone want to go? And we would both look at each other and like, yes, we're going to go Raising Canes. And then the person go, yeah, but like you both have to sit in the same back seat or else, you know, one of you has to stay behind. And we just both have an unspoken, you know what? Beat the shave each other later. But now is the time of chicken. But John, if you had slaved my people, I would never forgive you. I would strangle you with the seatbelt in the back seat. Like, yeah, but like we'd you, still you get don't to the just chicken walk place. It off. You don't walk it off. <laughs> like, I know why they did it because they wanted to have a really cool story, and it was. But they also didn't want to take a tiny faction and split the book in half. Actually, so they were just like, "Lol, J.K." <laughs> but, and I think for a lot of people, that's fine. That's totally fine. Just feels weird for me. Because I'm a lore head. Well, I'm sure that In we Magic can find the Gathering some way terms, of... I read the flavor text. I mean, I suppose. We can find some way of mixing them, I suppose. Uh, narratively, in a way that makes sense. Probably within an, our own campaign or something. But that's something we can discuss like, outside of this show. Yeah, that'll be a whole other hobby progress. And add it to the list for January, February, and March. For now, though. With those months being in 2022... Let's talk about that. All right, John. With uh, 2022 on the horizon, it's a new year, some new opportunity for hobby. So I, I think it's time we sort of break down in a couple of categories what we want to see going forward. You know, it's, it's. I don't even know if I'd call it. It's wish listing in the most literal sense that. It's just what we want to see for just disclaimer. This isn't leaks we've had. This isn't any sort of writing we've seen on the wall. This isn't stuff that John has pondered in the orb and knows will come true. This is just us looking at the wargaming space and talking about what we think is maybe not as prevalent as we would like it to be or that we would like to see more of. Um... Because it's fun to do so, and it kind of does kick your brain rolling about how you feel about the hobby space and, uh, you know, what pain points you might have with it. Because there's always bound to be some. So, yeah, I think first up, the one that is the biggest, but I don't want to be the only thing we talk about this episode. Because the hobby space is way bigger than them, but it is they are the titans, they are the ones we play the most at the moment. Let's talk about Games Workshop, John. Um, I think it's undeniable that they have the most sort of room in the space to throw themselves around. They have the most market share, even though that's something we might want to see changed. A little spoiler for later. Foreshadowing, perhaps. Oh, professional oh. podcasting. <laughs> oh, fucking Ritzy. Uh, so, 
for Games Workshop products, let's first uh, sort of talk about Age of Sigmar. Um, this year we got a new edition of Age of Sigmar uh, in third edition. And in 2022, largely what I want to see for Age of Sigmar is new books. And I want to see a lot of them. Uh, I One of the things I really despise about Games Workshop's business model is this idea of a book treadmill where they drop a new edition and then with the start of the edition, two factions get new books and for every other faction in the game, it's tough. Just tough. Sorry. Wait. And you might be waiting two and a half to three years for your book, but sorry, deal with it. There's really nothing you could do to mitigate that unless you speed up your book release process. And I know... And, like, it wasn't always this way. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because I've always had, like, the book treadmill, right? And to some degree. But, like, in older, older editions, they would change editions and new books would come out. But they wouldn't be so drastically fucking different from other books. Right? Like, 6th and 7th edition is a good example of that. Like, books came out in, like, 5th, 6th, and 7th edition. Mm-hmm. And were all being played in 7th uh, edition at some point. At each Books from each of those editions were being played. And some of them were still very functional and could be played, especially in like 6th edition, right? Like mm-hmm. end of 6th edition. You had lots of 5th edition books and 6th edition books. Some book didn't get updated till 7th and they still got play. But something happened with 8th where like, and it was it was bad then too. Like when Gene Sealer Colts didn't have a book, then got a book, it was massive. And it's just, it's the same thing's about to happen in Gene Sealer Colt 9th edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... They're going to get a new book in January, and who knows what that's going to do. It's it's really big, and these new books can change a whole lot. So I don't want to see people waiting on them for very long, because it's just painful. I mean, you it's almost like you're playing two games. You have Age of Sigmar 3rd edition, uh, edition between armies that have new books, and Age of Sigmar 3rd edition with armies that don't have books. And I would argue that it's that disparity is more narrow in Age of Sigmar compared to 40k, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but it's still there, and I, I want to see it resolved as quickly as possible. So, and I want to see a faster release schedule. And specifically with AOS, which makes it more difficult, is that for the last couple of years with AOS, you've seen a lot of like, we're going to put a new army out there with a new army book, and we're going to have these new models and this new, 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 new. Um, and then it seems like a lot of the factions that people already have have just been left in the dust. And I hope that that stops. Like, I hope that, like, Skaven deserves some new models, right? Mm-hmm. Beasts of Chaos deserves some new models. I say that as both a Skaven and a Beast of Chaos player. But, like, also some of the Empire stuff is older than dirt. Yeah. New kits would be wonderful somewhere. there. Yeah, for older books. Release new books with new kits. Kind of like what they're doing for 40k. We'll get to that, too. And, <laughs> you know, kind of do that, but for AOS... Especially because you're releasing a whole nother new game within a few years of the new world. So, like, be a little bit more transparent about that. Give us more of our stuff. We don't need, like, a th- sixth destruction army or a seventh death army or uh, another flavor of order that just shoots everyone off the table. Like, we need updates to the stuff that we have so that we actually have playable books. Like... Lumineth got two books before Beasts of Chaos got... Like, Lumineth came out, got a book, and before Beasts of Chaos got one. <laughs> like, Yeah, they got two books back to back. 
which yeah. is a little bonkers. Um, it's poor planning is what that is. Which actually sort of leads me into the second thing I want to see. Um, well, I guess first I would like to quickly say that I know asking for a, a faster book release schedule is kind is definitely wishlisty because let's be honest, shipping is a nightmare. Just is. Not just with like games and stuff. I mean, at my own day job, we're having issues everywhere is. So that makes that ask a little difficult. Fully acknowledged. Totally fair. But, you know, the question is, what do we want to see in 2022? And that's what I want. Even if it's not necessarily likely. However, uh, speaking of Lumineth, the second thing I want to see is when these new books come out in 2022, inevitably. I don't know how many there will be. I, I hope there are more, but maybe even if they keep the 27. same 27. 27. Lofty. I'd love it. No, um, it's not going to happen. But even if, you know, there's not as many of them as I want, what I really want out of 2022, what I want to see a lot of, is I do not want to see another book that skews the everything as hard as, let's say, Seraphon or Lumineth or Daughters of Cain do. I, I do not want to see it. Just don't. Um, there's this idea of balance around win rates, and generally speaking, uh, you want a win rate that falls somewhere between every army 45 to 55% in an ideal world. Some are going to fall in under 50%, but as long as they're not too far below, that's fine. And as long as they're not too far above, that's fine. That means that when you come down to the table with any two factions, that you have a, a reasonable chance of being able to win that game if you're clever, if you build your list well, if you play well, uh, if you maximize your decisions, that you have a good chance. But some of these new books that have come out have just been terribly overtuned. And I, I don't know why, and I, I really want it to stop, because it warps everything. Uh, and it's not every new book, which gives me a little bit of hope, which is why I feel comfortable putting this one in here with some more confidence. Uh, I want more books like uh, Stormcast Eternals, or like Oric Warclans, or the new Nurgle book that just dropped for AOS, or Soulblight Gravelords. Especially new Nurgle and Soulblight. Kind of hit the nail on the head here. Um, but they came in very good. I'd say quite strong with a number of ways to build them. But nowhere overtuned or unfair. It's like the Golden Goose. Especially Soul Blight. It is wonderful book design. And if we could get all of these new books to hit right at that level. Oh man, what a great time that would be. Uh... Because then, at least for people who do get a new book, they don't have to feel bad playing their army because it has like a 65-70% win rate. And they're just stomping their friends. I mean, it's also that like with a lot of these books that have these high win rates, what you're seeing is like one or two extremely powerful pieces where mm -hmm. the rest of the book is meh. And people get this perception of, well, that army is very good because it's 60 or 70% win rate. And then you have a guy who just really likes, I don't know, the cow is from Lumineth. Tries mm -hmm. to play that book and then loses every game. And everyone's like, why do you lose the, the what do you lose with that army every time? It's so good. Or they, or they bring harder lists against that guy. But the guy's not bringing the bust stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's that's also a problem. Like you don't need huge standout skewing good units in each book. Like everything kind of needs to have an internal balance. Mm -hmm. Not everything... just an external balance. 
Yeah, I'd love for all of these books to have like a purpose for every unit, which again, I'm going to point the Soulblight Gravelords. Everything in that book has a purpose, except for Black Knights. I have no idea what they're supposed to do. If they're... you keep saying Soulblight Gravelords, I'm just going to print zombies and skeletons. John, it's like the best designed book Stop of it. the past year and a half. I'm gonna do it. It's the gold standard of books. If I got to, if you asked me, like, "Hey, Joe, what template do you think we should build all books off of?" I would point you at Soulblight. Just give me that. Give me Soulblight for everything. I, you know, it's an army that has very, very obvious strengths. It's got some fun skills to lean into those. It's got multiple ways you can build around said strength. Every unit's got a purpose, except for one. And it also has some weaknesses that can very much so be exploited. And I think it's sitting at a win rate, even in competitive scenes, somewhere around like 52, 53%. That's yeah, the sweet spot is like 50 to like 45 to 55%. Mm-hmm. So like, that, I, I could ask for nothing more than that. That's perfect. Um, so I'd love to see more books designed with that in mind. Of course, like what those strengths and weaknesses are going to be from army to army will change with the with the narrative and the lore of that force. But I think everyone would agree that every force should have some strengths that you can have a lot of fun around and some weaknesses that opponents can play into. Sounds great. And that's my big hope for 2022. What about you, John? What like do you have any particular AOS themes that you want to see brought up? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. We, we've talked about this so often that a lot of our opinions kind of molded into the same one, particularly with AOS. Because, like, mm -hmm. AOS in 2021 was just a better treated game than 40K. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that, like, going forward, the community generally for AOS seems to be a little bit more engaging with trying to uphold that. And the game... Games Workshop itself it seems to also have that same mindset with that direction. Um, but 40K, I disagree with. And, and I, I have some big problems with the way 40K was treated in 2021. Mm -hmm. And what it seems to be going in the future. And where a lot of the community is sitting, right, in 40K. All right, um, well, let's, let's go ahead and rotate over to that. Uh, so, like, 40K for 2022. Um, what are you wanting there? Because you play a lot more 40K and follow the 40K community a whole lot more than I do. Yeah, so like similarly to AOS, I want to see more book, right? We are drastically hampered by the inability for Codex armies to fight non-Codex armies in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much there is like one good thing I can say happened in 40K, and that was the balance change, like the data slate balance update Ooh. it was like the one thing everyone was like oh my god that's great and everyone agreed like it was great right it's like a every three months fixed balance data sheets help the game improve right mm -hmm. 40k tends to be i don't want to say a more competitive environment it tends to be more spiky right i think that's fair at least in my own anecdotal experience <clears throat> yeah and so with that being the case it getting more regular balance updates is probably fair also because of the nature of the game it's really easy for it to skew in a direction that will ruin it for some when some armies fight other armies right and i don't i need that to not do that as often so that we can play in this game and have a great time mm -hmm. but also 
they need to just release more books because it's 90% of the problem people have is like they announce a new space Marine model or a new space Marine kit or like a new so-and-so and so-and-so while we have like elder models that haven't been updated in like 20 years. And we have like factions that haven't seen an update for going on three or four years now. Ooh, back to the space Marine salt mine. I see. I see. We have a callback. Well, it's the, the Space Marine salt mine never goes away. That's the fun part um, because it's the thing that makes GW the most money. So yeah. they they always put more Space Marine stuff out. And so everyone who doesn't play Space Marines goes, well, what about this thing I've been patiently waiting for to be able to have fun with my fra- uh, with my faction against my four friends who play Space Marines? Mm-hmm. Like playing, playing Chaos right now sucks. Like if you play basic Chaos Space Marines, you try to play into Space Marines, it sucks. It's literally you, but better. Like, I don't know. I'd you've rather, got weird space magic, but like me, I'd rather play into space marines than like Admech or Dark Eldar. Um, at least I, you have a chance there. I think the others there are some, man, there are some competitive skews well, on some of those that's books. A, that's a good point. Is like Admech, right? Got a huge cut, right? They have everything, pretty much everything in their army went up by twenty percent, mm-hmm. like ten, like fifteen to twenty percent. And their win rate plummeted down to like a 51, 52. Mm-hmm. Drakari just got slight tweaks more in line with what they normally do for FAQs. And it, shoot, it shoots up a couple of percentage. Don't know why. Don't know why. Well, it's because they got rid of the, it's natural predator, Admech. Ah, uh, well, well, now they're the big fish in the pond. Whereas, like, if you look at the rest, and they have it in their MetaWatch article, like, you can see the rest of the factions. They're kind of even, like, even and out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a clear thing in the data of, like, Codex armies up here, non-Codex armies towards the bottom, but they're, e- like, they're evening out with each other, right? Which means that as these books are coming out, they'll be able to even out, which is what I hope and what I want. I also want to see that cool design stuff that you saw from Soul Black Grave Lords, but transferred into 40k. Mm-hmm. Where like the new Tau book comes out in probably January or February, right? Yeah. Same thing with Custodies, same things with Genes of the Cult. When that comes out, I want people to pick up that book and go, oh wow, there's so much I can do with this. Not, oh wow, there's the one build. Yeah, that is definitely a pain point. I hate having a book where it's figured out within about five minutes of reading. That's a that's always a letdown. You just you yeah. become bored much more quickly. And you know, it looks like Eldar is going to be the one after that with a bunch of plastic Eldar releases, hopefully. And uh, fingers crossed. Looking at the advent calendar, looks like chaos will be somehow tied in around the time with the Eldar. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see where all that goes. You know, like I want next year to be one of Xenos and Chaos, not Imperial. Mm-hmm. Because they've spent the last like I don't know three years on almost entirely imperial with like short gaps of not imperial. Yeah, and uh, I think that'd be rad. I think that'd be neat. Uh, but like for me, where I've been engaging with 40k the most recently has been novels and just playing games with like two of my friends. But I'm hoping to get some more of that crusade stuff in, and I really want some books so I can play that. Because if you give me like an, an a guard book or even like i might pick up thousand suns just to do it something i want to play your game more but you it's hard to organize a fair fun campaign when like one or two people might not even be able to really play the game on the same playing field 
Yeah, it definitely hinders the fun, that's for sure. Like, if yeah. you are the person with the new codex, you have to play down a lot. And if someone's playing with the old codex, they probably got to tune up quite a bit. It just makes for a weird feeling. And, like, sometimes you just want to have a knockdown drag out fight with your buds. Like, how many times have we done that, Joe? We're really just like, hey, I'm going to bring the stupidest list I can. And you go, me too, but let's beat the shit out of each other. I don't even care who wins. Let's just have, like, a game where, like, four models are on the table at the end of it. But we brought 200. Yes. Yeah, Blender. An absolute blender of a game. Yeah. And if that's hard to do, unless both are kind of playing in the same weight class, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing. And that's what I'm hoping for with 40 K. And I also in the future, like this is in 2022 and also further is I want them to do the opposite of what they need to do for AOS, right? For AOS, I said, update old factions, Update, like, books that haven't gotten an update in a while. Stop releasing new factions. Mm-hmm. 40K. Release new, some new factions. Release the books you currently have. Give them the updates you need to that you've already planned. I know you already have coming out. And then, release squats. Like, do some Ooh, wild stuff. Yes. Make squats. Make a new alien race. Like, just start dropping new stuff. New hot, fresh stuff. That isn't imperial based, and it's great content for imperial players to have to fight against. And you can release like Warzone books at the Yin Gang for them to buy. But like, do it. Go for it. Uh, make a new imperial faction. That's weird. That's also a doable thing you could do. Like, make the Inquisition its full force and not mm-hmm. just a tag on, like an add on force. Like, do some wild stuff. Yeah, I think they've played it very safe, especially in 40k land. Um, and I'd like to see them to take some risks because at least, like, don't get me wrong. Every, I won't say AOS has landed all of the shots that they've made, um, but at least they have at least made taken some. Them. Yeah, they make some shots I didn't see coming, and I appreciate that. I can at least respect the effort, even if I don't like where it ends up. And I would love to see that come over to 40k. Well, what's what about you, Joe? What's the biggest thing that you want to see happen for 40k in 2022? Uh, I think I'm with you. For me, it's the books. Um, like I kind of think to all the times that we try to play 40k, and the biggest pain point is that a lot of the armies in our group just do not have new codexes, and it makes it really difficult to try to plan like a weekend of gaming when three of the armies have new codexes and four of them don't. Because when you try to start matching them up against each other, things just get really difficult very quickly. And I really don't have to deal with that anymore. So I would, much like with AOS, but even more so, I want to see them step up their release schedule for 40k, because good god, the disparity is harsh. Um, yeah, I think that like all of 2021, we got the same amount of codexes for 40k that we got in the last three months of 2020. Yeah. Which like... On one hand, again, fully acknowledge there's a panorama. Um, but like, if the ask is, what do I want? Again, that's what I want. I want everybody to get caught up to baseline, and then we could start expanding and doing other stuff. <clears throat> and I, I think we could get there. It's just going to depend on kind of what happens with the world over the next couple of months. But yeah. all right. Let's, so, GW section closed. So For in, now. 
let's sort of zoom out a little bit, John. Zoom out just a bit. So looking forward into 2022, what do you want from your own hobby? Like, obviously it's a long year. I'm sure plans change because they always do. But what do you have on your radar to do in 2022 in your own paint table or in your own sort of crafting space? Sort of like, what do you have that's kicking around in your head? Well, I'm going to try to avoid talking about like specific factions, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all know the specific factions I kind of tend to trend towards. And also they're kind of all over the place, right? Like Mm -hmm. my vision board of armies I play is very large. Mm -hmm. But... I want to be more like technique and tool based, right? So like the biggest thing I want to get into in 2022 is terrain building, scratch building terrain or buying terrain and making it look the way I want it to look for playing in my house mm-hmm. or taking to like Joe hammer cons in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Theming my battlefield. So that the game feels more immersive and does not just feel like mechanics. Makes sense. Which, that is going to be in its entire, like, own little treat. Like, that is so many levels of techniques slapped together and just weird stuff. But other than that, like, it is two major tools I want to learn how to master that I started this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Airbrushing, 3D printing. Um, Both quite a long journey, let me tell you. Yeah, like I, I have the, I don't even have even started the 3D print stuff because I'm waiting for stuff to get here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you do kind of need it in your hands to... To do what you do. Yeah. And so like that'll be a fun journey to start doing a bunch of that stuff. Uh, and it'll also allow me to do some stuff that I, like aren't game related. Like miniature busts and like dioramas and like painting stuff up that I can use as like presentation, presentation pieces. There we mm-hmm. go. That's words. Uh, and using 3D printer stuff for the terrain building and for modeling and like everything that I'm doing. And the airbrush just makes all of that easier because I can take an airbrush and use it to speed all of that up and pull off stuff that does not require like infinite patience. There's a lot of that the airbrush is that is just, you could painstakingly paint all of this with a brush or you can just slap it through some like compressed air and go burr. Yeah, I think the best thing I've ever heard to kind of describe the airbrush is that anything that you can do with an airbrush, you can do with a brush. Absolutely anything. However, airbrush just makes it faster. That's the key. Um, And there are some things you can do with a brush that an airbrush can't do, which is a benefit. But again, when we're talking about army painting, normally time is a huge variable. You know, you can't wet blend and edge highlight and do like a eight color workup on fur color for every Skaven in your army when you have 300 models. Well, you can, I guess, but good God. <laughs> I would like to know what you do to focus that hard because I boy howdy would I like it. Uh, I'm not sure whatever it is is legal, but probably very effective. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean... Like I said, 3D printing and airbrushing is going to be a long haul thing to master, but it's certainly worth working towards in 2022. I mean, what's the worst that happens? You don't become a full master, but you end up very experienced and proficient. Oh no, I engage with the thing and hobby I like doing that acts as a form of expression. 
Ah, uh, I wasted so much time. I wasn't productive enough. No, I'm going to enjoy it because it's mostly going to be me watching TV and painting stuff and looking after it going, man, remember when like all my stuff was chonky? <laughs> <laughs> remember when I used half a bottle of paint on a single mon- miniature that looked like poop? <laughs> yes. Uh, I still keep around the first mini I ever quote, I ever like really tried to paint with like all of my might, uh, just as a reminder of where I started. <laughs> uh, and it definitely keeps you in reality check that even if you don't obtain your giant goals, you're still making a lot of progress. Very important yeah. perspective. Absolutely. What about you, Joe? What are you, what are your hobby challenges for 2022? These self fulfilling prophecies, if you will. Um, much like you, I don't want to talk about like specific factions cause they could be fickle. Um, I definitely have, uh, few... yes, you do have the ADHD. <laughs> uh, so I've been told, well, I have, I have a referral. I'm working on actually getting tested. We'll see how that goes <laughs> next year. ADHD and hobby. Look forward to that episode. Actually, that, <laughs> that could be a good episode. I like, I, I, I made a joke, but we might want to write that down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> If that besides squirrel. Um, so I want to avoid saying specific factions, but I've got a couple goals. So first and foremost, I, despite being in this hobby for years, do not have a fully painted army. I, I just don't. Uh, I get quite a, <laughs> I get like quite a Jeez. ways in an army and then I sell it. So I get to like 80% done and then I'm like, whoops, sell it. <laughs> commitment Gosh. issues joseph commitment issues and yet in my personal life i don't have commitment issues don't ask me why this plastic brings it out um however i'm really I starting mean, because money <laughs> yes because i have a weird relationship with money um but now i'm sort of i feel like i'm narrowed in on the factions that i think i will really really enjoy regardless of rules uh, and now it's a great opportunity to take that sort of satisfaction and enjoyment and translate it into setting the goal of painting a full army by the end of 2022. I don't know what army it'll be. I want to give myself some flexibility to kind of move o- through the year with whatever excitement kind of keeps me going. Um, but I definitely want to make it a flag in the ground stance. But by the end of 2022, there will be at least one painted army in the my storage area. Maybe more. You know, if I hit more than that, cool. Because I think the Crusades are going to help me a lot. But I at least want to have one that is fully painted. 2,000 points. And it's not going to be orcs. <laughs> uh, I also don't think it's going to be orcs. I think Tau has a really good chance. Or Caradron Overlords. We'll see. Um... I vote it's going to be Tau. I think that's what you'll do. That's my prediction. We'll see in a year where that prediction is, but mm-hmm. I think Tau. I think, I think Tau is going to be your thing, mostly because I can be like, hey, man, you'll play Big Robot, and you're going to be like, oh, man, Big Robot. And then the next year, you'll be like, I'm going to paint this fucking robot. Like, <laughs> I love Big Robots. Yeah, right now, I would definitely guess Tau is number one contender, um, for sure. But, you know, who knows? We, there's a new book coming out in January or February that could definitely build up a lot more excitement um, and definitely propel me to a fully painted army more, much more easily than I anticipated. 
want to spend a weekend watching Gundam eating pizza, you can paint Tau and I'll paint whatever it is I need to paint. That sounds awesome. That sounds 10 out of 10. (laughs) Solid. (laughs) Spool up G Gundam. Let's go. Um, Yeah, I think that's a kind of a big goal for me. Uh, I also really want to try two new paint techniques that I've been sleeping on, John. Been absolutely sleeping on them. Uh, And for me, that is one, dry brushing. And two, uh, I really want to try contrast paints. I have a few, but I don't think I've been using them to their maximum potential. Oh, boy, howdy. Yeah. You should look up some stuff about the new Army Painter range coming out in January that is contrast but cheaper. It, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I can't wait. If the comparison videos are good, I'll just do that. But essentially, those are two things that I have entirely slept on. Like, I I got the airbrush, and then I dove really, really deeply into making my own paint schemes. Like, I became competent enough that where I don't need YouTube videos to show me a scheme, I could just make my own which was really exciting. And I really enjoyed the look that uh, using like a three color Zenithal highlight would give me, you know, so like a, for example, if I'm painting a salamander, do like a deep, 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 deep green all over that's almost black. And then from like 45 degrees and up, sort of like a medium green. And then from 90 degrees straight above and a couple of highlights, do like a, a very, very bright green, just to like, show the reflection and I love the amount of contrast that it gives me on a model and it's pretty quickly. And I feel like I leaned into it too much. I feel like I've just been on autopilot a little. So I want to try some other stuff that I just, I haven't touched. Uh, my wife for Christmas is getting me the Ninjon artist Opus dry brush set. Cause she's amazing. And I'm super excited to get that in here. And when it does, I'm going to try incorporating a lot more dry brushing on top of that, like, Zenithal knowledge. That makes a lot of the things that you have said make way more sense if those are techniques that you have not been touching on. Mm -hmm. Like, you despise hordes. You know what the number one, like, the the two ways to make hordes an easy, like, win? Dry brush. That looks great. Dry brush and contrast. Yes. Like, (laughs) it is contrast and then dry brush. And boy, howdy, does everything look great. Like, <laughs> yeah, it looks like you took a minimal amount of effort, but like it still looks great on the table all combined. And if you've been trying to do like three color workshops on every model, no wonder. <laughs> no yeah. wonder you hate this. <laughs> That's how I pull it off. I do three color workshops on everything. Um, and it looks Even nice. Goblins, but it's... Like 80 goblins? You're yes, like, John. gotta give them a three color workout. Yes. You fucking mad, man. <laughs> yes, I did 80 goblins with a... I think I did three colors. It, I think I tried two, it didn't look right, so I did three. Uh, yes. Why do you like this? I don't know, John. <laughs> I don't know. They Just didn't... go go get a dry brush. <laughs> Go to the makeup store. Get a makeup brush. Put some foundation on your goblins. Call I, it a day. I have one. I just didn't use it. I airbrushed them out. I'm going to take your airbrush away. Like, no, I'm gonna don't you dare. Uh, so your airbrush, here's what I'm going to challenge you with so that you actually do this. Pick a squad of dudes. Any squad of dudes, right? You're only allowed to use the airbrush for two things, right? Mm-hmm. Priming. Your models. You can Zenithal prime them. I'll allow you to do that. And a single color base coat. Well, that's good. Because I was going to put the uh, 
the contrast paints through the airbrush. Yeah. Cause I single think, color base coat. And then, then you have to use brushwork for the rest of it. Yeah. I think it'd be good for me. Like I definitely started when I started painting, I did some dry brushes, but one I was using, um, like the GW dry brushes. And I don't know if I necessarily did it right. Cause I ended up with a weird, like really, really chalky consistency, which I didn't like. Um, so like it just didn't work for me. And then I got the airbrush. So I really didn't look back, but with these better dry brushes and some more knowledge on how to use it, I don't know if I'd say correctly cause it's a creative experience, but like, you know what I mean? To use it more proficiently. I think there Using are ways a way that fits your style. That yes. fits your style of painting. Exactly. And I think I can incorporate those two things to kind of like, you know, expand my toolbox to work on my arsenal that I can dive into for all of the schemes I make. Yeah. Um, like if I could, if I could compare your paint style to like an era of video game artistry, I would say that like early 2000s PlayStation 2. Yes. That is your, that is your art style for painting armies. Whereas I am like, 2007 xbox <laughs> <laughs> i am refined um i look like i got thrown into the fucking trash run around a bunch pulled it out and went look it's crust punk <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh you know i just want to kind of expand my arsenal a little bit and i want to do it intentionally um and lastly i have never really got into painting terrain like, I've done a couple of pieces, but, like, not on large scale. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I've got some that I ordered from a 3D printer on Etsy that looks beautiful and that is still in gray plastic. And in the apartment I was living in, there was nowhere to keep it if I painted it up. So, like, I just kept it in the box. But now, I'm in the house. I've got my own game room downstairs. I've got shelves where I could keep this terrain. And I want to make an effort to paint it up. Uh, and really test my ability to speed paint because terrain is a whole other monster different set of priorities different set of techniques mm-hmm. uh and i want to dive in different tools yeah yeah exactly i mean i'm gonna do most of the colors with rattle cans not even airbrushes and uh i think that will be a fun challenge mix up my own oil washes and uh you know see where it takes me that's exactly where I was going to go with it too. Is it does give you an opportunity to use a lot of like non-miniatures branded art materials. Yeah, because uh, you just don't you don't need to spend that much money on it. Like you don't need miniatures paints to paint terrain pieces. You can just use craft paint because it doesn't need to be super thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think it'll be a nice relaxing progress for me because uh, you know when you're painting like the hero for an army that you really care about and with a scheme that you made yourself, you. You really put a lot of time and effort and focus zooming in on this one model. And that's great. It definitely is. But over time, you kind of get a little wound up. And I think with terrain, you can just relax. Um, You know, out of all of these like giant stone uh, arches that you're going to have on the table, no one's looking at the dry brush consistency on the bottom left corner. Like it's, it's fine. Just get in there, throw some paint on them, and have a good time. And I think that would be a nice sort of palate cleanser for at some point in the year. I love how yours is, I'm going to take something and just kind of generically do a thing and not put too much of a concept behind it. But mine is, I have like, 
looked at a bunch of historical photographs and watched a bunch of Stalingrad, like document, document, uh, Joseph, help me with the word. Documentaries? Documentaries. There we hey, go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've gotten super deep into Stalingrad and like, I'm like, I could recreate like a 40K version of Stalingrad with like, what is it like for people who have, are pushed to the edge and have nowhere left to go and have to defend their place and their homes I mean, from it, invading forces? It didn't end well for Cadia, but maybe different yeah. here. But like, how can you how can you convey that kind of emotion on a battlefield, right? Without the models on the table, mm-hmm. how can you how you can convey that when someone comes to the table before they put stuff on the table of like telling a story of where where this conflict has been and where it could go depending on what happens at this table, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that can be a lot of fun, and I think that is a part of the narrative that's often missed as we you know have these armies clash against each other in the same six streets. Mm-hmm. It definitely could get a little samey, that's for sure. All right, so... If that's sort of our personal goal, let's zoom out even further, and we're going to end on this bit. So now, giant view of not our hobby, or not just one company in Games Workshop, but now looking at all tabletop wargaming. What do we want to see from it in 2022? You know, we're in a world, again, that is rapidly changing. The, The actual hobby marketplace itself is changing. Uh, the pandemic certainly did a whole lot of changing for a lot of these companies. Uh, what do you want to see in 2022, John, in terms of opportunity and, um, I guess, incremental shifts? Well, I think that no matter what else we talk about in this, the one thing that I think I want to see, whether it's this next year or the year after, is some sort of competitor to Games Workshop. Yeah, like, and I and I don't mean that like the rest of the market kind of competing or like Infinity or Star Wars Legion or something like that. Like, no, I'm talking a honest to goodness, true competitor to Games Workshop. Like we saw that happen with like in a separate industry with like WoW versus Final Fantasy 14, right? Now there's a lot of other stuff that went on with that that we're not going to get into, but ultimately it was one franchise directly competing with another franchise that is imposing lots of changes on both. Yeah, for sure. That does not exist in this industry or in this game sphere, right? And over in like D&D, you see it a little bit, but not really all that much, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly to wargaming, and we, I think we need to, like, we really need to see something compete with Age of Sigmar and 40k, whether it's fantasy, sci-fi, a mixture of the two, in some way, to directly compete with Games Workshop for a lot of reasons. And and my biggest reasons for that is to make Games Workshop more accountable within the market, because right now they're kind of the the king of the candy store, mm-hmm. and get to dictate everything for what people want to do in there because they're the biggest game. This is what they are. It makes them have to innovate and actually do non-safe practices because a lot of the choices they make are just very safe. And I'd like them to be riskier. I think it would make a much more interesting game. Just would. Yeah, I mean, that's the general idea of competition is that it's good for us, the customer. That Yeah. 
if they have somebody that they really are trying to beat, they're going to make products that are more interesting, that are more affordable, that are more engaging, that are easier to get a hold of. Uh, and uh, presumably when GW responds with all of those better products that are cheaper and more wonderful and more fun, then whoever that competitor is will also have to do the same. Those get even more fun and even more cheap and blah, blah, blah. You all know the line. Well, if you're an American, you know the line, but I'm just, I'm presuming the other countries also hear this. Um, yeah. And, and the third reason is that a lot of people have taken wargaming and made it synopsis with. Uh, you mean syn- synonymous? Synonymous. That's a word. I'm bad I got you. This episode. I knew synonymous, where you were at. Yeah. Synonymous with uh, grimdark, right? With dark fantasy and grimdark sci-fi. Right. It becomes mm-hmm. synonymous with the actual hobby and a direct competitor that does not try to copy that same style would help take away from that. Because I don't think this entire hobby has to be in the dark millennium of the far future. Everything fucking sucks constantly. Or in the mortal realms where Nagash, the biggest nerd of them all, throws a hissy fit and 10 million people die, does that have to be all the games, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of games copy that because they think that that's what sells the most because it's the biggest, and they might be right. But, like, I think there's room for, like, something weird, something different. Nobody thought Kingdom Hearts was going to be popular because when you mixed Final Fantasy and Disney, but boy, howdy was it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell you the plot of Kingdom Hearts, but I know a lot of people played it. I can account, I know more people who have played Kingdom Hearts than then who haven't. So maybe I'm an outlier, but <laughs> maybe your friends are just nerds. Hey, Ed, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chief. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot more that could happen with a direct competitor. Right. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that, the, that kind of ties into the, the your point that you wanted to bring up next. Yeah. If I'm um, guessing right, Joe. It does. Yeah. I want to see some changes and improvements, not just in like any one system, but in more of them. And I won't say all of them, but I want to see more of them start to kind of modernize a little bit because I'm a little shocked Guess. that we haven't. <laughs> um, this, the year of our Lord, 2021. Yes. It, it, 2021. We are still struggling with putting point values on little pieces of cardboard as the only way to get point information from the developers. And that's ridiculous. Um, Like, we talk more and more about how we want to be able to have changes that happen a little more often with some of these games, because, like, this one update per three-year thing isn't working for anybody. Um... And we have tools that can do it. We, we all carry around these little computers in our pockets with access to the internet that we can use to enhance wargaming, to make it easier. And some are already doing this. Uh, just, you know, a shout out for uh, a, song of Fice, a Song of Ice and Fire miniature wargame. Good God, they need to shorten that. Um, they have an app that is wonderful. All the units, right there. All the point values, all the rules, right there. In the palm of your hand, boom. They keep it updated. You don't have to go hunting around for stuff. If you want the physical cards, they sell them. 
So if you're into them, you can get them, which I just, I also happen to just get them because I like having them, but you don't have to. Uh, you can even download and print your own cards if you don't want to buy them. But they have an app that the community loves. No one has to make these crazy third-party apps that can't be put on the app store. That's just right there from the devs. And it makes the playing experience not only easier, but more fun. Because you don't have to go hunting around, and it keeps things fast. And uh, sort of looking around, not a whole lot of other companies doing it. At least not well. Um, GW is starting to dip their toe in, but for them, you have to pay for their services. And then separately from their services, you have to pay for the books to unlock them in your service. So they're really kind of double dipping on cost. And for Star Wars Legion, there is a free service to do this, but it's fan made and it's on a website. It's not an app or anything like that. And I'm just a little stymied. Uh, and for me, I would love to see other game systems just modernize. Just come on now. It, and it's it's one of those things where like so many, so much of the wargaming crowd uh, is either fresh, fresh and new into it. Because let's be honest, the game kind of exploded in popularity over the last two years. Yep, love that. Like, like the entire industry is just like quadruple in size over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was mostly a niche crowd of kind of weirdos. And if you are offended that I'm calling you a weirdo, I'm a weirdo with you. We're all weirdos. And we were a couple of years ago before other people were into this because we would watch very shaky camera footage of battle reports uh, <laughs> with like a cell phone and we on YouTube. Them. We loved them. And we eat them up like because we loved it and we didn't care to spend extra money on stuff because it meant that we got to play the game we were obsessed with but as the game gets more popular and more and more people are spending more and more money in this industry and specifically with games workshop as a company i expect more investment than the bare minimum you know it was one thing when you had a niche player base of people that really just kind of wanted a very specific thing and that was it when you've got when you are a billion dollar company at this point, there's some stuff you need to change. Like, like things are no longer outside the realm of possibility for you. You can basically do whatever you wanted within this industry. Come on now. Especially when you have the largest market share. Yeah. Yeah. Like you are a trendsetter for these types of games. Um, You always have been, but now you have the money to really back that up. Do some stuff with that. Don't just, don't just sit on it and, and wait till like your fan base erodes again, like it did in sixth and seventh edition. Just don't do that. That'd be great. And I think modernizing would be a great first step. So that's like that's my first big push. On top of you know, I also want to see some competition. Well, I think that that brings us to our third one, which is ironically about three D printing. Ooh, it God, we cannot escape it. The topic just yeah. keeps coming up, and I think that's really indicative of why point three is going to be poignant. Yeah, it, it, 3D printing has exploded over the last few years to a degree that if you are somebody who has been in this game for more than six months, you have debated getting a 3D printer. Whether if you just play 40K, just play Age of Sigmar, or play all sorts of different skirmish games, or if you're just a collector, or if you play D&D. Like, if you do anything involving miniatures, you have at some point probably thought, I should get a 3D printer, and tried to figure out how you could make that work. Mm-hmm. Because it is a very good tool 
And it, yeah, it's a hobby ball of its own. And yeah, there's still some inconveniences with it. And yeah, the technology has a long way to go. And yeah, it's probably going to be a few more years before it's like truly groundbreaking revolutionary. But it's currently with a little bit more effort, more like it hobby changing in a way that you can build a thing that you need off the internet in your house without having to order something off the internet that could take two and a half months to get to you to play with. Yes. I mean, literally you stick a USB (laughs) stick. Once you set up your printer, you put a USB stick in, you hit print and you go to bed. That that's it. You wake up in the morning and bada bing, bada boom. There it is on the build plate. That's incredible. That's so, so cool. And with printers getting cheaper, STL files getting better, and with Patreon making it really easy to get said STL files for very little money, it, we'd be lying to ourselves if we said that it wasn't going to continue to grow. I mean, there, every day there are more 3D modelers making Patreons with more STL files New 3D printers are dropping every six months or so, bringing down the price of the older printers, meaning that that like 4K quality, which generally recreates uh, store-bought miniature detail, is only getting more accessible as we go up into 8K for like the cutting edge stuff. And there's no way we're going to put this genie back in the bottle. You just can't. You, you cannot do it. Yeah, that, I think that that's a significant portion of it. But, like, the other thing is just, man, like, when you want to start, say, like, a guard army, right? Your options are Cadians or more Cadians 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. With a 3D printer, you can just say, fuck that. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Like... You can just print off bits to, you know, add on to your plastic or print whole different dudes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or if you really want something that's wild, that's really weird, and you can't find an STL file for, you can commission a 3D modeler to make you one. Yeah, which is significantly pricey, but, like, it's better than waiting 20 years for new Eldar Sculpt. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um the amount of creative liberty you have is infinite and it's not going away. So with that being the case for us, point three and sort of like the one that we'll end on is that I really want to see more companies lean into 3d printing rather than try to fight 3d printing. And I think that like to, to argue this point and, and bring this entire section, right? All full circle is that if you, we want to see a big competitor to Games Workshop come up within the next few years, I don't think they compete on the pure plastic sculpting way, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think they compete selling actual plastic. I think they compete with a updating rule set, using it a more modern style of play, a more modern style of getting rules into people's hands with a STL file range or miniatures agnostic style game with heavy theming towards specific things that you pick what you want from that embraces both 3d printing and having app like app rules and computerized rules and not relying heavily on things like cards 
on branded things that you buy from a store that is a games workshop store that it is you buy our core book and maybe you pick up like a narrative book to help explain the force that you're building and then you have the rules on your phone you buy the stl files from them if they sell the stl files or use different ones that fits you the new flavor you're going for more and you print those i think that's the competitor we're going to see and that would really force GW to get off of this, like, pretending it's the 90s shit. Yeah. Uh, if somebody real big came out and just went, yeah, 3D prints are fine. Uh, here's our line you can buy from. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, that would shift things. Um, particularly if it's someone who's a, a bigger dog in the ring, so to speak. You know, I, again... I've not heard anything about this. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Just grabbing a big name. If Star Wars Legion went, hey, we're going to add the Scum and Villainy faction, and you could just pay us 50 bucks for these STL files, and you could just have them. Uh, rules are on the website. Uh, okay, thank you. You know how many of those Scum and Villainy forces are going to pop up overnight? Hundreds. Yep. Thousands. <laughs> or like, I'm... what if... Well, like? We all remember when Game of Thrones got big, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge, massive. Like, sold a ton of random stuff. Uh, it's part of the reason why the LARP explosion happened. Part of the reason why the D&D explosion happened. Like, all of these things. Because Game like Game of Thrones got super popular. What happens when we have the next TV show or movie series that just gets super popular beyond recognition and everyone loves it, right? And there's a miniatures game about it. Mm-hmm. And that miniatures game they just sell SDL files for. Games Workshop will sit there and go, why we got no money? Because I, I spent $400 on a 3D printer and I've spent like $20 on STL files and I spent like $30 on a bottle of resin and I can print, like my core cost was high. But two years from now when I've printed four armies that I can play with, with my buds, because I don't really go to tournaments, I play casually, like... That thing has saved me like 70% of what yeah. I would have paid. Like when you're selling dragon kits for Stormcast Eternals at $120 pop, I, the, the the cost of a $400 printer does not seem like a whole lot anymore. <laughs> it does kind of skew the math a whole lot. Your printer will pay for itself in no time. And especially if the company leans into it with narrative and stuff, holy cow, it could just also be a fulfilling experience to like get the excitement of watching something be created out of goo and then to go through the joy of painting it and then playing it. I mean, you created that model from beginning to completion. It was all you. I think that's going to be really exciting for a lot of hobbyists. And combine all that with a cheap price and good lore. Ooh, you could definitely shift some of the market. Yeah, especially if that lore isn't based in the like normal grimdark nonsense that like we love. But like, there's lots of people who have like played Warhammer with one, either you or me. I'm I'm sure you've got some stories for this. I know I do. Uh, that have gone, man. I really like this this concept. Like, I like doing this. And then they get into the lore, and they're like. Well, this is a little grim. Well, this is a little depressing. This isn't for me. I don't really like this like super hard stuff. And they end up falling out of it because they just don't like that vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And they find, like, maybe they find some other games in there, too. But the big game, like, the biggest the big boy game, the D&D of Wargaming, the, like, I don't know, Final Fantasy of Wargaming, the name another big, like, the Marvel of Wargaming, right? They, they, they don't like it. They don't engage with it. So they're just like, eh, whole thing, throw it in the trash. Like, there's got to be, there's got to be some other, more flavors out there for people that are easier to engage with than some of these other ones. Because some of these other games have an, an, an accessibility issue that is just hard to overcome for new people that are not mm-hmm. currently engaged in this sphere. It is. It's a huge barrier to entry. And to be honest, I mean, if we're talking about something that has name recognition to rival Warhammer, I honestly think Star Wars could pull it off if they played their cards right. But, uh, you know, that's a lot easier said than done. Joke's on you. I'm going to make a Fortnite war game. Oh, God. I'm going to run outside the ring and kill myself. Neat. <laughs> That's how I win the war game. I run into the death ring. Uh, I die turn one. GG. You want to play my Battle Royale miniatures war game, Joseph? Uh, I do not. You sure? I'm certain. Absolutely but, certain. If uh, you don't get within the circle when the exterminatus is coming, it will kill you. John, that's what I wish for. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be off of this battle royale game as quickly as possible. Uh, uh, this is my survival-based battle royale miniatures war game where you play the Roblox characters uh, fighting off the Heart of Darkness from Kingdom Hearts. John, I'm ending the episode. You've ruined it for everyone. We were going to have some glorious topics that no one will ever know. But now you've ruined it. You've sullied this for everybody. It's all my fault. If any of you have gotten this far, you were all champions, scholars, and I thank you for dealing with my bullshit. You're all distinguished gentlefolk, and I appreciate your patience. You may curse me and call me a bastard. If you wish to curse Particularly on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) We both went. (laughs) oh Oh. man we 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 did not miss that opportunity at all (laughs) we both we both saw the train and we both (laughs) ran right into it (laughs) two people through the door at one time (laughs) that knocked each other down Uh, it's the headbutting each other trying to get through the same door scene in every Three Stooges <laughs> well if you want to call John an awful person feel free <laughs> to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter uh, the DMs are open if you're one of the like handful of people who listen on YouTube feel free hop in the comments we read them all we really appreciate you and if you want to go to the extra mile leave a review uh, for smaller podcasts like us, it helps a lot. And if you want to do the absolute galaxy brain move to help us out, share it around to somebody who you think might help. Um, we always appreciate that, and it brings more people to the show. And for now, if uh, you want to have a more direct line to my stupidity, you can just uh, shoot me a message on Twitter or uh, tweet at me that I'm an asshole or like a bastard or whatever. Uh, I'll be pondering the orb uh, Monday through Friday. It's 12 days a week, seven times on Sunday. Um, Joe, take us out. 
We did our that's, diligence. That's been all of our awful opinions. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all next time.